This week, Brother Juan Lopez preaches a sermon titled Fearless. Excited about service. Tonight's sermon is provoked by a man by the name of Diedrich from Bradington, Florida. Him and partially, I could partially blame Max Lucado. Diedrich, I will blame because I was recently speaking at a church in Florida and was sharing a bit of my testimony, and not a lot of it wasn't kind of woven throughout the whole sermon. It was just at the end of the sermon, and I just remember sharing this one aspect of me needing the Holy Ghost, and I was on my way to prison, and I was in the holding cell, and I'll spare you all the details. You probably remember the story, but I'm sitting in the cell with this man who is missing an arm, who is... Uh, tatted up everywhere, older than me, bigger than me, scarier than me, and is on his way to prison for murder. And sitting there in that room, he did not know anything about me, no great details at all, but he looks across that little cell that is typically crowded by many inmates getting processed throughout the court system, but on that particular day happened to only be full with me, and him, and he looks across, makes eye contact, and he just asked me the question that I would never have fathomed. He said to me, have you received the Holy Ghost? And so I shared that testimony and the supernatural ability of God to step in when man just cannot do things, God can do things. And so I shared a little bit more and closed out the service, and the next day I met him on a disc golf course because I'm on vacation, and it's Florida. And it's fun. And so we're there. And he says to me, this guy's, you know, he's taller than me, so I look up to him for that reason. But more than that, he's a pilot. He rides a motorcycle. He's just like your typical, just man, this guy's got it together. And so I tease him a little bit about that. And then he starts talking to me. He says, hey, he says, man, I really appreciate you preaching and sharing what God did in your life the other night. And I just got to thinking, he's like, So nothing can shake you, right? He's like, after you've seen that, there can't be anything that would come at you that would bother you, that would startle you. And I know I had that deer and the headlight look because I'm thinking through my mind, that should be true. Because I have seen God move in unbelievable ways. I've seen the miraculous take place. I've seen the supernatural move. I've seen Him reach into my life when no one else could help. And so, yes, Diedrich, I should not be shaken by anything. But he could tell by the look on my face that I probably have fallen short in that area. And so the topic of living fearless crept into my heart, and then I realized through YouTube that Max Lucado has done an entire series on fearless. I did not steal his entire series, but I did snag a few verses that he draws most of his series out of. In the book of Matthew, there's a story, and Jesus asked the disciples a question. It's one of the most impactful questions that you will ever have to wrestle with within yourself. It was one of the most challenging questions for me to begin to process through my mind, just looking and reading at how Jesus posed it to them, looking at the circumstances in which this question comes up. It's a question we all must deal with. He said to his disciples, 
Why are you so afraid? Why are you so afraid? Fear. Fear is an interesting emotion. There's really no sure way of predicting what fears someone might have or how fear may impact their way of life. You could look at people and you could start to stereotype and be like, okay, that's the person that is afraid of rainbows. And you find somebody else that looks just like them and you say, well, that person must be afraid of rainbows also. Or maybe they're afraid of heights and you find somebody else that looks like them is about in the same age bracket as them and you say, ah, that person, they must be afraid of heights also. But really, there is no scientific way. There's no rhyme or reason to why certain people allow certain fears to overcome them in their daily activities. Take, for instance, MMA fighters. They get into the ring or the octagon and they are looking across to their opponent. Now they know without a shadow of a doubt what they are there to do and that their opponent is there to do the same thing. That person that they're staring at across the octagon is there with one purpose in mind and that is to completely destroy you. To break you down and to embarrass you in front of the crowd and to make you lose so that he can reign victorious in this fight. And yet somehow... They show up fight after fight without any regards to what may take place, to what physical harm they are putting themselves in contact with. Now you take that same MMA fighter, that big strong guy, and you place him at his home in his kitchen. And don't let him for one moment, not even a little glimpse, out of the corner of his eye, catch a mouse running across the kitchen because he will scream and jump like his life is in jeopardy. Fear. It's very difficult to understand fear and how people can be afraid of things that to you seem so childish. The top 10 most common fears people have, starting with number 10, Commitment. Number nine, spiders. I can testify to that. Number eight, rejection. Number seven, failure. Number six, I was puzzled by, I thought it would be further up the list, but it's death. Number five is intimacy. Four, the dark. Number three, heights. Two, I could see being up at the top. I wouldn't picture it at number two, but public speaking. Number one, I could not for the life of me fathom it even making it into the top ten, and yet it is number one. Let your mind think about it. Try to call it flying. Flying is the number one most common fear of people on the planet. Do you know statistically? It's the safest way to travel. <laughs> and yet it is the number one fear on the planet. Phobias. People 
have phobias and fear of things that is absolutely absurd. Ergophobia. Some folks will like this one. Please, nobody in this room like it. Fear of work or of the workplace environment. It doesn't even seem realistic, but there is literally a phobia for people that can't get off the couch. Fear of work. Nomophobia. It's short for no mobile phone phobia. <laughs> this is real. This is the consistent fear of not having service. Worse than that, 50%, through research proves that 50% of the UK struggle with this. A real fear of not having service on your mobile device. Man, the struggles of life today. Philophobia. Although butterflies in the stomach are often associated with love, for someone with philophobia, those butterflies are more like deadly scorpions. Because these people are petrified of falling in love. One of the greatest gifts to humanity, people absolutely are afraid of. Somniphobia, also known as hypnophobia. This is the abnormal fear of falling asleep. Can you imagine what that would be like at 4 o'clock in the morning after a hard day's work, being afraid to fall asleep? Now these sound crazy. Bear with me for a minute here. The next two I can't even pronounce. You may know this one is generally found in children, and it is the fear of clowns. Scared to death. People get scared to death. You're scared of clowns? Okay. Oh, you know people. Yeah, you're, you know people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, and the topper, the next one, the fear of belly buttons. Now, I've reviewed several lists, and they would tell you when it was something that they were just making up that has become kind of like a folktale over time, but the ones I've just shared with you are absolutely true. And what we have uncovered here by looking at these is we realize is that fear is something that you cannot necessarily predict will be present in people. Everybody is said to be afraid of something. There's nobody that has no fear at all. The whole slogan, no fear, really doesn't exist. It's chasing something that can never really be grasped. No fear. Fear will plague humanity from the beginning of time until the end of time. Fear will be present. Things that you think should not cause fear, things that do not make sense to you. How could somebody be afraid of belly buttons? How could somebody be afraid to sleep? Who in their right mind could really say that they have this great fear within them that they will not have cell phone service? And yet you look at how silly these are if I allowed each and every one of you to stand up and begin to share your fears with the group being recorded to be played online. I wonder how many of our fears that we have, that we deal with, would somebody on this side of the room listen to you over here and say, <laughs> what a girl, what a joker. How can they be afraid of that? 
People think that way about me and heights and roller coasters. Don't do it. No. I admire Diedrich so much with the motorcycles. I don't ride motorcycles. I would never let somebody trail me on a motorcycle. Are you crazy? Never. I have no desire for adrenaline rush. Roller coasters are out. We go to the amusement parks and I watch the stroller and my wife takes the kids up. It's fine now while they're young. It'll be very embarrassing when they're older. Fears. Jesus asked this question to the disciples. But the context of this question is that there was a storm going on. The Bible records it as a great storm of wind. And it says that the waves beat not just on the ship, but into the ship. So that the boat was now full. Understand the strength of a storm that has filled the top deck of a boat with water. Jesus during the storm is in the hinder part of the ship and he is asleep. The disciples in a panic, they run down to wake him up. And when they wake him up, they cry out to him and they say, Master, carest thou not that we perish? You see, fear, although it is common, has no place in your life. Because fear will bring you to a place where you start to doubt God. Fear will drive you to a place where you will start to question Him. Master, carest thou not that we perish? They are talking to the Messiah who came and was born for the purpose of dying for their sins so that they could be saved and they had the audacity to ask Him the question, do you not even care that we will perish? Fear had them gripped at their hearts. Drove them to the place of questioning the motives and God's position. The waves were strong. The storm was strong. They should have, certainly have had a dose of fear. Jesus goes down and He asks them the question. He wakes up. He rebukes the wind and said unto the sea, Peace, be still. The wind ceased and there was a great calm that took place. And that's when He turned to His disciples and that's when He said, Why are you so afraid? Now I understand that the disciples could have looked like I did when Diedrich spoke to me on the disc golf course because they were caught off guard and they're thinking, Yes, Jesus, we are afraid because the boat is filling up. Don't you remember that when we woke you up and you came to the top deck of the ship, you had to swim your way out rather than walk? The storm was out of control. We feared for our lives. Do we not have the right to be afraid in such circumstances? And Jesus is making the point to them that even in the craziness of the storm, even in the moments that you really don't understand what's going to come next, you should never allow fear to be the force that is driving you. It should not be the thing that is paralyzing you. It should not be the emotion that is overcoming you. 
Jesus goes on to say, do you still have no faith? Now, this is interesting because he is tying fear to the lack of faith. Jesus is saying to them, do you still have no faith? In other words, Jesus is saying to them, have you not seen enough to have faith in whom I am? Have I not done enough miracles? Have I not worked enough signs and wonders? Have you not seen me or known me enough to believe in me and to trust in me? I believe that's what Jesus would like to say to us today. First off, why are you afraid? Yes, you're living in craziness. Yes, you're being challenged at work. Maybe you're being challenged in other areas. Maybe you don't understand exactly what's going on. Who knows? But Jesus is saying, don't allow that fear to get you to a place where you're going to doubt me. Don't let fear capture you and bring you to a place where you question my motives. Don't allow it to get a hold of you and be the thing that is controlling you. Have you not seen enough? Have you not seen it? Can't you check my resume? Don't you know what I have done? Who I have set free? Don't you remember what it was like when I filled you with the Holy Ghost? Don't you remember what it was like when you were baptized in my name and they called it out over you and you were buried down in the water and you came out of there with your sins remitted? The old man buried, the old man dead, the old man gone, powerless in your life, and you became a new creature. Does my resume not check out with you? How quickly we forget fear causes us to have a lapse of memory where we just can't quite get a hold of the things that He has done for us in our past. Hard to remember them. Hard to remember what it was like when I was sitting in that cell and that man looked across to me and asked me if I had the Holy Ghost. Hard to remember what it was like when I said no, but I wanted, and he began to pray for me in the middle of that cell so loud. It was so powerful that the bailiff walked in and told us that we were being too loud for court and we needed to shut up or we were going to be punished. And when that bailiff walked out, that man did not hesitate. That man with one arm, that man facing murder charges. I have no idea what his apostolic background was, but he was absolutely praying in tongues. He was absolutely bringing my faith up to a place it hadn't been in a long time. And do I still remember when I'm challenged today? When I struggle today? When things don't make sense today? Fear, robbing us of the memories of the power of God impacting our lives. Fear not. In Matthew 10, 28, it says, And fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. So yes, disciples, you can be scared. Yes, disciples, you can be nervous. Yes, disciples, you can be worried. But don't allow them things to consume you. Allow your faith in me to be the thing 
that is your strength. Allow the faith in me to be the thing that takes a hold of your heart and of your mind in the most trying of times. Let faith in me, even if it means that your faith in me brings you to the point of death because this world has no power over you. And if you die here in this life, fear not. Because it's just your body. There's nothing in this world that can take your soul. There's nothing in this world that can strip you of your commitment to me and your love to me. They can only but kill your body. For God has not given us the spirit of fear, the Bible says, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. I draw great strength from John 16.33. It says, These things I have spoken unto you that in me you might have peace. And in the world you shall have tribulation. Jesus speaks to us so that we can have peace. He reminds us that in this world you will have tribulation. You will be challenged. You will be tried. But... Jesus wants us to be of good cheer. Well, thanks, God. So now I know that my life is going to be incredibly hectic while here on earth, and there will be many challenges that I will face, and there will be tribulations that I will go through, but your words to me are be of good cheer. He doesn't end there. He finishes up this verse. And he tells you how you can be of good cheer even in the midst of the tribulation that this life calls you. And he says it's because I have overcome the world. I have conquered death, hell, and the grave. I have already defeated this world. It truly has no power over you. And when you allow fear to grip your heart and paralyze you, you are allowing it to hinder the work that God has already done for you. He has already defeated this world, so there's nothing to be afraid of. He has already conquered it, so there's nothing that can really, truly destroy you. Maybe here on earth, maybe it can be mixed up here on earth, maybe they can kill your body, but that is the extent of it. The apostles, men of great faith, Men who walked and lived for God, turned the world upside down, the Bible says, who really transformed people's lives and impacted them in a great way at the end of their life. We find them martyred. We find them killed. And someone could look at that and say, what a waste. Great men of God, they went out, they gave their lives to God, they served God with all their heart, with all their energy, with all their strength. And what did God do for them? He allowed them to be captured. He allowed some of them to be beheaded. He allowed some of them to be hung on a cross upside down. He allowed some of them to be burned. If we look just at this world, if we looked at just what takes place here on earth, then you could come to the conclusion that those men did all their work and God left them out to dry. But it does not stop there. Jesus made it clear about having overcome the world. There is a life that is lived after this life. 
There is a place that Jesus went to prepare for his people so that where he is, we as his believers, we as his followers, we who have not been paralyzed by fear, but who have walked out by faith, shall go to be with him one day. And it won't matter if you're tarred. It won't matter if you're burned. It won't matter if you're beheaded. It won't matter if ISIS gets a hold of you. It won't matter what happens to you here on earth because you will go on for eternity. Fear. The apostles' lack of faith reminds us that even those who lived and walked with Jesus saw His miracles and heard His message still found it difficult to be 100% faith-filled all the time. That is true. But I ask you not to find much comfort in that because at that moment where they were lacking their faith, Jesus didn't pat them on the back. He rebuked them. He let them know that what they were thinking and what they were saying and that their lack of faith and the allowance of fear into their hearts and into their lives was not acceptable. It was not something that He wanted them to live by. So neither should we. There was a show, a TV series, Fear Factor. It was the competition reality series in which contestants must decide if they have the gifts or the guts and determination to face their fears while outpacing the competition. Fear Factor was an interesting reality series because what they did is they would collect people, bring you on the show, and the object of it was that you would face your greatest fears. Somebody that was afraid of bugs or afraid of roaches would not be asked to simply hold a roach within their hand, but they would be asked to lay down into a, about a coffin-sized clear box and allow the people of the show to pour over their body hundreds if not thousands of alive cockroaches. Their goal would be that they could stand it longer than anybody else. So that they could at the end of the series, at the end of the show, win a prize. It's interesting because I remember as I would watch that and I would look at it, I would say, what would possess somebody to do that? Because it didn't stop there. They would eat bugs. They would be trapped with snakes. Everything that you could imagine that you would be afraid of, they would put you through. But it became very clear. That money was the motivation. Fear Factor brought something to light for all of America and all of everywhere that it aired to see. And that was that no matter how great your fear is, no matter how tough of a reality it is to you to face certain things, that you can, if you want to, allow something else in the presence of fear to drive you. So you run from a garden snake in the front yard, but you allow them to put 300 snakes into a box with you and close the lid. Did fear go away? Was fear gone? No, fear was present. But you decided that more important than allowing fear to have control over you was the ability to withstand it and overcome it so that you could hopefully win the cash prize. 
It's not just something that fear factor brought to light. In fact, I see this in Scripture long before fear factor was ever around. Old Testament, Moses sent 12 spies, a leader from each of the tribes, over into the promised land, the land of Canaan. They had very specific instructions, and it was to go out and to spy the land. They spent 40 days there spying out the land. Everything looked great. They returned. They've got this bushel, this cluster of grapes. It's so large, it took two men to carry it as they spanned it across their shoulders, returning home after 40 long days. They went and they got with Aaron, they got with Moses, and they got with the people of the congregation of Israel, and they spoke to them what they experienced. They said, We come unto the land whither thou sentest us, and surely it floweth with milk and honey, and this is the fruit thereof. They present these massive clusters of grapes to them. Right there you think how exciting it is they're seeing what God had promised and told them was going to be there. The people see it now. And they're hearing it now. And this is the moment where they can walk into the promised land, but they continue to talk. They don't just stop right there. They don't just see the things that God promised come into fruition. They allowed some other things that they saw over there to impact how they felt and what they were going to say to the people. And they go on to say that nevertheless, the people be strong that dwell in that land. And the cities are walled and very great. And moreover, we saw the children of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the south. And the Hittites and the Jebusites and the Amorites dwell in the mountains. And the Canaanites dwell by the sea and by the coast of Jordan. And in that moment where they're just making up all the excuses and telling them why they cannot go to possess the land, one man raises his voice and Caleb steals the people, the Bible says, before Moses and everyone and says, let us go at once. In the midst of all the people of Israel complaining and talking about how difficult it would be and impossible it would be because they are but grasshoppers in the eyes of the people that they would be fighting. They're giants. Caleb had enough faith and confidence in what God had promised them and told him. Caleb no doubt remembered the fact that there were going to be houses over there that God was going to give them that they didn't build. There was going to be land over there that they were going to possess that was going to yield fruits and vegetables that they did not till. And something rose up in him in the face of fear. How could he do it? How could Caleb stand up against all the other ten of the, the leaders from the tribes who gave a negative report. Didn't Caleb see the same things? Didn't he see the giants? Didn't he see the children of Anak? Well, hold on. Didn't the other ten hear about the promise of the God? Didn't they know what God had in store for them? Yes. Everyone saw and heard the same thing. Ten of them allowed fear to take control. Ten of them allowed fear to make them question God's ability to possess that land. As the Bible tells us, two men, Caleb and Joshua, were willing to allow their confidence and faith in God to be what guided them. They allowed their faith and confidence in their memories of what God had just done. The deliverance from Egypt. The crossing through the Red Sea. God is asking us right now, have you not checked out my resume? Don't you remember what I have already done? 
And that's what Caleb played in his mind. And that's what Joshua played in his mind. And that's what gave them the strength to say, Okay, God, in the midst of everybody else's doubt, in the midst of all the fear, because yes, I'm afraid of giants, I will not allow myself to be stilled by those people. We must go at once. We can possess this land. You know the story. The fear of the ten struck fear in the rest of the congregation and they did not go. You see, fearless living for Christ is not defined by the absence of fear, but rather the relentless pursuit of walking by faith in the presence of fear. Nelson Mandela put it this way, I learned that courage was not the absence of fear, but the triumph over it. The brave man is not he who does not feel afraid, but he who conquers that fear. Stand with me if you would. If I could get some help. Thank you, Brother Alex. I want to close with a story in Scripture that I've read multiple times, especially over the last few days, that has challenged me in a great and new way. And thinking about what it means to be fearless and to really walk by faith and let God guide my life, I come to the story of Peter walking on water. Jesus sends the disciples out onto the sea while he stays back and dismisses the multitudes. It becomes the fourth watch of the night. And Jesus went into them walking on the sea. When the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a spirit. And they cried out for fear. Straightway Jesus spoke unto them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I. Be not afraid. What Peter says next just simply sets me back because Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me come. Bid me come unto thee on the water. The Bible says that there was waves. The wind was contrary. They were tossing back and forth when Jesus approached the boat. And when Jesus makes himself known to the disciples that it is him that is there with them in that little storm going on, Peter says, bid me to come out there to you. Let me walk on the water to you. you got to get this because Jesus made himself known to Peter that he was with him in this storm. And Peter could have said right back to Jesus, thank you for being here. Lord, come on to the boat. God, come and sit down with me. Make everything calm as you've done in the past. 
take abode with us. Come on, Jesus. Wouldn't that have been easy for us to say? The storm is going on. The wind is blowing. Jesus lets us know he's with us and we're not alone. It would be easy to say, God, come to the place that's the safest. Come into the boat. Where's the calmest? The water's not affecting us. Jesus, step in. But Peter doesn't say that. Peter says, God, if it's you with me in the storm, then call me out there into the craziest, most dangerous part of it. Call me out there to where you are. And Jesus says to him, come on. Come on, Peter. And the Bible records that Peter goes to step out there and to walk on the water. I play this in my mind over and over again because I can picture him placing his hands on the side of the boat as he picks up his leg. He's getting ready to step out with some faith. He's not allowing the fear to paralyze or to keep him in the boat. He's going to step out. And he lifts up that leg and he starts to step over that boat crosses over and that first foot hits the water his hand is still on the deck of the boat his other foot is still on the bottom of the floor of the boat so it's not really completely all on the water yet and then he takes the next step then he lifts up his foot his back leg and he pulls it up over the boat deck and places it He places his foot onto the water, takes off his hand, and all of his weight is now on the water. And Peter goes down in history as only the second person ever to walk on water. Second person ever. And you could say, I could hear the voice of the hater right now saying, yeah, he stepped out on water, but don't you remember he took his eyes off of Jesus and got it on the storm and began to sink. And I would say, yes, I remember. Catch the lesson in that. He took his eyes off of the one that was providing the ability to walk on the water. And when he did so, he began to sink. And I would remind that person, whose hand was it that reached for him? Who reached and delivered him? The Bible said it was immediately when he cried out to Jesus, help me because I'm sinking. He did not take his time. He reached immediately. And he pulled Peter out and saved him. I feel the challenge in the Holy Ghost so strong. It is very clear that the revival that God is desiring to do, not just in this church, but in your life, is going to require you to be absolutely fearless. Not the way the dictionary defines it as the absence of fear, but the way that the Bible defines it as a person who is not 
motivated, driven, or captured by it, but in the presence of it will yield to their faith rather than to the fear. 